from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, good. So, I've got a... There's a lot that, in, that, that could be said on a, on a little Advent day of recollection. Of course, the spirit of the Advent season is that of welcoming Christ into our lives, right? You so say there's three comings of Christ. He came first, of course, as a baby in Bethlehem. He's coming again at the end of all things. But the most important coming of Christ, as far as, 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 far as our lives are concerned, are, is what's been called the middle coming. And that is Christ present among us and trying to enter into our lives daily as we speak. And that's really what I would like to speak about here. If I could speak about only one thing, I would speak about prayer. And so that's what I've chosen to do here with you this morning. There's a lot that could be said about prayer. I'm certainly not going to say it all. I'm not going to talk about devotions. I'm not going to talk about any specific uh, uh, traditions in prayer or the importance of prayer in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, or the importance of the intercession of saints, or even the importance of the intercession of the Blessed Mother. What I'd like to do is step back and speak about prayer, first and foremost, as it's been taught in our mystical tradition in the Church. I draw my recollections here this morning, above all else, from the writings of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. Why St. Teresa of Avila and why St. John of the Cross? Because in our church's tradition, they, better than any other saints who have ever lived, wrote about the development of the soul in God's presence. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross complement one another in their writings. Teresa talks essentially about what we are to receive from God, and John essentially talks about what we need to get rid of, all the stuff that's in God's way. Together, Teresa and John give us our church's most comprehensive and complete tradition, and that's what I'd really like to draw these recollections from. So, if you're wondering where I'm getting all this, it's my best effort to coalesce the writings of those two. So, let me start off here this morning with a couple of stories, okay? Because everybody likes a story here. First one's a true story, and it comes from one of our priests in our diocese, Father Paul de la Durante. Anybody ever heard of Father Paul de la Durante? He's no longer here in our diocese. He's over in Vatican City doing all kinds of official things. But he's, he's very bright, very, very mild wit right? With, with Father Paul de la Durante. He tells me a story once he was a seminarian. And you know how it is in seminarians. They, they, they dress up like priests, right? Everywhere they go. Some priests look really young. People still think they're seminarians. Witness Father Barnes, right? He was out at... He was out at Christendom, I'm told, one time, and somebody said, seminarians aren't allowed here. And he goes, I'm a priest. He goes, no. He goes, yeah. Anyway, Father, uh, Father Paul de la Durante, he's a young seminarian, and a very well-intentioned but overly pious woman runs up to, Father, to seminarian Paul de la Durante and says, oh, Father, Father, give me your blessing, Father. And in, as, as only Father de la Durante could have said, he says, well, you know, I'm not a priest. I'm only a seminarian woman says, oh, she's not deterred in the slightest. She said, don't let that stop you, Father. Just give me your blessing. And he goes, well, okay, but it's going to be in Latin. She goes, oh, that's great, Father. She kneels down, folds his hands, makes a sign of the cross, and says, nemo dot quote non habet, which means I cannot give what I do not have. 
woman's thrilled. She says, oh, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, runs away. Okay, that's our first story. Here's your second story. It comes from the Gospel of St. Luke. As they continued their journey, they entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. I had a rector back at the seminary. He once began the school year, the academic year, by saying, Gentlemen, it's the only lesson. you can only learn one lesson in the seminary. Let it be this. The first thing is to make the first thing the first thing. In other words, the most important priority of your life is to prioritize your relationship with the Lord. Put that first, and everything else has a way of falling into place. That's my message for you here this morning. But you can't give what you don't have, although many people try. So what we want to do here is we want to figure out how to receive what God wants to give us, and how to get out of the way of all the sins and attachments and things in our lives that prevent God from making us who we're born to be. We want to put the first thing first. And I think one of the first things to realize there is there's a revolution in how we think in order to make that happen. Most people unwittingly live the course of their spiritual lives thinking that they're going to fit God into their life. I would venture to say that all of us live our lives that way, your priest included. We have this idea we're going to fit God into our life. I, I remember even once hearing a, you know, like a, a kid's choir once at Mass, and they were all singing, God is a part of my life. Those are the lyrics to the song. God is a part of my life, and they clapped. God is a part of my life. If God is only a part of your life, one of two things must happen. Either he will become all of your life, or he will cease to become part of your life at all. God is either all or nothing. He cannot be somewhat important, okay? So our job is not to fit God into our lives, but it's we who are to realize we have to fit into his plan. There's a wonderful meditation from C.S. Lewis. He wrote this in uh, his book, Mere Christianity, which I hope a lot of you have read. He puts it like this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to live in it himself. Let God become the entire plan. This is what prayer is all about. 
So let me start you off with a question here this morning. Are you spiritually healthy? Are you spiritually healthy? Most people would think they are. I'll try to give you a little barometer by which you can judge this. When you're spiritually healthy, nothing bothers you. Traffic doesn't bother you. Stock market can drop a thousand points. Your favorite team can lose. Your flight can be canceled. All your plans can fall apart, and yet you're still at peace. That's the mark of spiritual health. If I'm not spiritually healthy, the only way that I'm ever happy is when everything goes my way. Now, life is a collection of days, and some days go better than others. Let me ask you a question here this morning. Tell me about your best days. Your best days, think about them. What were they like? Were they days in which everything went your way? All your dreams came true, all your plans came to fruition? If so, then you are a prisoner. You're living your life as a prisoner, a prisoner of circumstances and a prisoner of self-seeking. God wants to set you free. But in order to be set free, you must cooperate. This is what I'd like to talk about today. The single greatest way that we can cooperate in letting God make us who we're meant to be is in our prayer. You ask Catholics if they pray, they say, sure, I pray, I pray all the time. How many of them are spiritually healthy, though? Only those who know what prayer is, pray regularly, and pray well. The very first thing I'd like to try to do here with you this morning is is try to help you understand what prayer is. Most people's questions in prayer come from a lack of understanding of what prayer is. Most people will say, you know, my, my prayer doesn't work. Or I pray and nothing happens. I pray and I don't know what to do. This is what most people say when, when, when they talk about their prayer. One of the things we have to realize, a human being alone in this world is made to become more than what we are. You're not content with what this world has to offer because you are made to become more than what you are. Animals do not have this problem. Turnips are singularly content just to be turnips, right? And, and, and rabbits to be rabbits. Actually, it's part of the appeal of, the, of, of animals in the world. One of the reasons why people love animals so much is because they are so evidently themselves. They are entirely what God created them to be. But you and I are not. In order to become what we were born to be, we have to enter into a union with the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is what we were made to become. That means we have to grow. That means we have to grow a lot. Prayer is the means by which we invite God's growth into our souls. So one of the things to understand about prayer is that you do not enter into a monologue. You enter into a dialogue. And the consequence, that is the purpose of prayer, is that your soul gets transformed A lot of times people say, well, I pray nothing happens, or my prayer doesn't work. And I think what they mean by this is that they pray and they expect that they're going to get things. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with getting things, even good things. God cooperates with us in our entry into his will. Part of prayer is petitionary prayer, prayer of contrition, or 
petitionary prayer for the well-being of other people, but I think a lot of times we, we approach prayer as though we're trying to wrest favors out of God's reluctant clutch. And this is a terrible misunderstanding at a deeply fundamental level. It can be a very beautiful thing on a bad foundation. You think about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> I, I sometimes use that as, as an image for you know, a very beautiful thing that's built on a bad foundation. And this is, you can have a very beautiful understanding of prayer and a great friendship with God. But what we want to do today, we want to try to get this good, this good foundation so we can pray well. Let a priest once say to me, pray well and you'll pray better. Pray better and you'll pray more. But pray little and you will pray less. Pray poorly and you will not pray at all. So what does it mean to pray well? What does it mean to pray poorly? When you pray well, you're ready to let God be in charge. When you pray well, you're ready to let God change you as he sees fit. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. When we pray poorly, we have the opposite intent. It's we who want to change God. Listen up, Lord, your servant is speaking, right? Don't get me wrong. In prayer, both sides speak. Both sides listen. But primarily, we go to prayer in order to be changed, okay? Our prayer is a participation in a relationship. That's why one of the first things I like to debunk when speaking about prayer is to steer you clear of any pursuit of any techniques. People often speak of prayer and they'll speak, well, you see, one of the best ways to pray is to keep a journal, or to have a prayer rug, or to light a candle, or anything else that smacks of a, of a technique. I'd like to tell you, remind you, prayer is first and foremost a relationship. How do relationships thrive? They thrive on time, and they thrive on love. Relationships do not thrive on techniques. So stop and think about this. Some of the most important things in life have absolutely nothing to do with techniques. And the least important things in life are entirely based on techniques. You might find a great technique to get a stain out of your clothing, right? But there's no technique to love somebody better. There's no technique to deepen a relationship. This is why prayer must be understood first and foremost as a relationship. And be very, very, very leery of any, uh, of any effort to, to try to, to cheapen that by some technique that you can that you can carry out. So the apostles wanted to know about prayer. They turned to the Lord. And they said, Lord, how are we supposed to pray? And in response, Jesus did not give them a technique. What did he do? He gave them a prayer. What I'd like to do, first of all, is go through the Our Father with you to show you that it is first, that is first and foremost what I'm trying to describe. It's a dialogue in which we're asking God to transform us. Remember a girl in college, she says, I don't like the Our Father, I don't get anything out of it. Everything that is contained within prayer is contained within the Our Father. And if you notice that the petitions of the Our Father, what we're really asking is for God to transform us. Let me walk through the Our Father with you here real briefly and hopefully show you that this is true. As we start off, we say, Our Father. Stop and notice what you don't say. You don't say, My Father. You can't say our Father without those words deeply transforming how you treat your neighbor. 
and how we even look upon one another. Our Father, what does that make us? What does that make us, one person to another? Do you mean those words? Is God really your Father? Because if He is, then that makes us brothers and sisters. Not strangers, not adversaries, not enemies. That makes us brothers and sisters. That is an utterly revolutionary approach to life. And that all begins just with the first word, our Father. Who can say our Father and, 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 and understand their life as essentially a self-serving, solitary existence? A self-centered reality. Not when you say, oh, you just you say our Father and nothing more. Let's focus on the word Father. I really just focused on the word our there. Our Father. Not our spirit. Not our force. Not our abstract spiritual power. You know what Jesus said when he called God our Father? What did he say? Abba. Abba. You know what Abba is? It's baby talk. You know, I was in Spain once, and I was looking at a little baby children's book teaching little Spanish children how to read. And it showed little chicks, little chicks in the the picture book. And a little speech bubble coming up out of the little chicks. Now, when we draw little chicks and we make them speak, what, what words do they say? They say, cheep, 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 right? Little chicks. Not in Spain. In Spain, they say P.O. 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 That's what little chicks say. But it's, 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 it's baby talk. So, you know, little baby starts babbling. What do they do? They go, ba, 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 ba. And we say, oh, look, he just said daddy. Da, 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 da. The, the Middle Eastern ear hears Abba. Is God your Abba? Who talks to their daddy like that? Five-year-olds do. Three-year-olds do. Is that the way you approach God? Absolute confidence? Absolute trust? You know, it reminds me of a story. Kid that walks up to a playground. He walks up to two other kids in the playground. The kid doesn't look like he's slept in a week. His two friends say, what's the matter? And he goes, oh, you know, I've got to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to make the mortgage payment this year. And i got the car payment coming up. And I just can't sleep. And the other two kids say, our dad takes care of all that for us. Is that the way you approach your father? We've only gotten through two words. Our father who art in heaven. If your daddy's in heaven, why are you living as though this earth is what you were made for? We're just passing through. I heard a story once about a businessman. He was passing through his Polish town. It was the, the town of, of Radin in Poland. And he, he came across the home of this highly regarded saintly rabbi. His name was Israel Mir HaKohen. Walks into the home of the saintly rabbi, looks around, and sees there's, there's no furniture in all the house. Turns to the rabbi and says, where's all your furniture? Rabbi looks back at him and says, where's all your furniture? He goes, I don't need any furniture. I'm just a traveler. I'm just passing through this place. Rabbi says, and so am I. You live your life as though this earth is your eternal dwelling. How can you say who art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. You know, in Hebrew, every name has a meaning. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. People pick names because it's their father's name or they just like the way it sounded. Hebrew, every name had a meaning. You know, the name Aaron, the brother of Moses, means mountain of strength. Or the girl's name, Anna, 
means gracious or merciful. They always named a child a, you know, like a, a spiritual reality. Hallowed be thy name, we say to God. We're not praying to make God's name holy. God's name is already holy. What we're praying is, why don't you, Lord, make your holiness present in me? So that when people see me, I make them think of you. Now there's a prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Got some bad news for you, Americans. Heaven is not a democracy. It's an absolute monarchy. What we're doing is we're preparing for an absolute, absolute kingship of Christ. Are you doing anything to make the reign of God the reality right in this world right now? You know, the church has been likened to a ship. The bark of St. Peter making its way through the waves of time, sailing onto the shores of eternity. Sometimes you'll even find a church that's shaped like a ship. The idea that we're making our way through. Well, if the church is a ship, understand it's not a cruise ship. It's not the love boat. And it's not a power boat. What kind of a boat would it be? It's a sailboat. The wind is the spirit. And anybody who knows anything about sailing knows that there's a lot of work to be done. Everybody's got to pitch in and help. Thy kingdom come. Here's the greatest line maybe of all the Our Father. Thy will be done. In fact, you can say that and you can stop praying entirely. Either you mean that one or you don't. If you want to become a saint, learn how to will one thing. Learn how to will what God wills for you. And if you will what God wills for you, how can you be resentful of the circumstances in your life right now that you cannot change? Things that God himself has willed. The sister of St. Thomas Aquinas once asked him, how do I become a saint? How do I become a saint? And the saint who wrote tens of thousands of pages of scholarly text answered her in two words. He said, will it. Just will it. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. How's God's will done in heaven? How's God's will done in heaven? With inexpressible joy. This is the hallmark of the saints as well. Not doing God's will reluctantly like a stoic. There's a line that I always say when I do a a wedding. I say, um, where there is no love, sacrifice is usually difficult and irksome. Only love can make it easy. And perfect love can make it a joy on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a prayer for you to say every morning. Give us this day thy, our daily bread. What did they mean when they used to talk about daily bread? Well, the Jewish people knew what that meant. What was the daily bread of the Jewish people? The manna in the desert. Every morning, manna would appear in the desert. And it would be exactly what they needed. They have manna in the morning, quail in the evening, right? Got their carbohydrates and their protein. They made... They made their way through in full physical health to the promised land. But they had manna in the desert. Interesting thing about the daily bread. There was exactly enough for everyone to take just what they needed. Take a little bit of extra so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath day. Or to help somebody else in need. And if you took more than you needed, hedging your bets against God's providence. You know what the book of Exodus says happens to the manna? It began to rot. It began to stink. 
It turned foul and it began to sprout worms. God's way of saying, I'm going to give you everything you need today. God really does provide. But he insists that you believe that he provides. If you know that and believe that and say that line, give us our, this day our daily bread, how can you be filled with anxiety? How can you not be filled with trust? Forgive us our trespasses. I mean, we all sin, right? It's one thing to struggle, but how can you possibly persist in consistent, unrepentant refusal and refusing to repent? How can you say that, that line and continue to persist in unrepentant sin? Forgive us of our trespasses. It's, it's, it become a blasphemy. That has to transform the way we approach God's commandments and our trust in them. And forgive those, as we forgive those who trespass against us, St. Augustine called that the frightful petition. Because when we say, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us, it doesn't mean that we're just going to kind of try our best to forgive other people. It means, Lord, here's, here's, here's me reciting to you your own instruction. Forgive me as much and only as much as I forgive other people. Many of the hardships that we've faced in our lives and continue to face this day We face because God needs to give us forgiveness practice. We haven't yet gotten it right, and we still have to keep practicing. We've we've got these difficulties and hardships in our life because we ourselves have so much of which we need to be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, we say. Lead us not into temptation. Can I give you a little tiny thought about confession? A little tiny thought about confession. After you've sinned, just remember somebody once told you, always go to confession. I don't care what you feel. I don't care if you feel like you don't deserve it. I don't care if you feel like you're presuming on God's mercy. I don't care if you just aren't in the mood. I don't care if it's, you don't think it's been long enough. Overcome your reluctance, get up and go. Always go to confession. Only the evil spirit wants to keep you away from God's forgiveness. Can I give you a thought about before you go to confession? That is to say, uh, before you commit a sin. Don't look upon confession as a car wash. Don't look upon confession as a shower with the full intent to get dirty again. Some people, I think, they look upon confession as a car wash. Spruced up for now, all ready to go get dirty again. Confession is an act of repentance. Lead us not into temptation. I remember once speaking with someone about, uh, you know, it was this men's group and they were talking and, and they said, you know, there's certain realities from which a man must simply flee. And you recognize, I'm not strong enough to face this temptation. I have to just run away from it. Certainly don't che- seek, seek out temptation yourself. Sometimes it helps just to get up and walk away from the circumstances you're in. Could be the computer, could be a bad conversation, could be a bad friendship. Just get up and walk away from temptation. They say when you, when you flee temptation, don't give the devil a forwarding address. Just get out of town. Deliver us from evil. There's forces in this world that are greater than ourselves. The devil's a fallen angel. He's far more intelligent than any person in this world. And all the angels who rejected God's grace and fell from heaven are far more intelligent and far more wily than any of us And they're striving to sow confusion, division, hatred, suspicion, all the worst things. And you're not powerful enough to face them on your own. That's why we pray this line. Deliver us from evil. Who's going to stand guard over the door of your heart? 
Your Father in heaven, that's who. And we need that help. We're not strong enough to do it on our own. Have you ever prayed in our Father? Yeah, I know you've said the words, but have you ever said the prayer? Be careful. Be careful. It just might change your whole life. People say, my prayer doesn't work. My prayer doesn't do anything. But I think you have to understand its purpose. When you pray those words, as we, as we do in every prayer, think of how many hours you could spend saying that prayer and allowing yourself to be transformed. Teresa of Avila was once interviewing a religious sister. She was going to enter into the convent. and Teresa said, is there anything I should know about you? And the sister says, well, you know, the trouble is I only know one prayer. Teresa says, what prayer do you know? The sister says, uh, the Our Father. Teresa says, how long does it take you to say an Our Father? The sister says, half an hour, 45 minutes. Teresa says, come on in. <laughs> You're just who we're looking for, right? Approach prayer and give it all the time that you can possibly, all the time that you can possibly give it. In fact, you could prayerfully spend a half an hour just going through one Our Father. Just going through one Our Father or even a line. I'll talk about that in just a second. Approach prayer like that relationship. God needs to transform you. It's not a puzzle to be solved, not a task to be executed. Let God change you. That's what it means to pray well. Now, let's talk about how to pray, the practical stuff. People go to pray, they say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I get bored, I get distracted, I feel like I'm wasting time. Okay? Well, let's talk about this. I think the first thing you need to do if you want to know how to pray, is give it time, and I don't care what you feel during that time. Decide how much time you're going to pray. We'll talk about that in just a second. And give it time. And I don't care if you walk out of that time thinking you wasted your entire time. You didn't. Because prayer is something God does to us by His grace, and grace is not something we always feel. Americans are so used to judging their spiritual growth by their feelings. And one of the hardest things to learn is that feelings have nothing to do with grace. You can feel dry and have the deepest prayer ever. Similarly, you can feel abundant and spiritual warm fuzzies and have really lousy prayer. Feelings have absolutely nothing to do with the quality of your prayer. It's a, it's a big lesson to unlearn, but I hope you'll believe me. Because I'm not speaking on my own authority when I say that. Again, these are, the, these are the canonized saints of the church who tell us this, and I'm just trusting them. But you want to give it time. You want to give it time. Time is the remedy for all bad relationships. Let me ask you a question. Are you better off spiritually than you were last year? Most people think their lives change when their circumstances change. The truth of the matter is your lives change when your habits change. Habits form your character. Character forms your identity. Change your habits and you will change your life. If you're doing the same thing today that you did yesterday, if you're living the same habits and not breaking them and not establishing new habits, I got news for you, you're never going to change. You're going to be exactly the same in two months, six months, a year, six years, as you always have been because your life changes when your habits change. And here's a habit that needs to change. You have to learn to give God time in prayer. Because relationships thrive on carefree timelessness. Think back about the last time you ever fell in love. Think about the, I mean, even if, I wasn't born wearing this, I promise, right? Think back about the last time you ever fell in love. 
you forgot what hour of the day it was, didn't you? You, 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 time flies and you had no idea how long it flies. And you talked and you talked and, and, and you talked. And if somebody asked you what you talk about, what, what would your answer be? You'd say, nothing, nothing. How do relationships thrive? Carefree timelessness. You got a relationship in your life that's weak? Pour time into it. Waste time over a meal. Waste time on a car trip. Whatever it is, give it time. And of course, give it love. And it will grow. This is true for prayer too. So how do you begin to pray? Set aside time. Do it every day. And if you want to keep a good habit, do it the same amount of time every day and at the same hour of, 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 of the day every day. That's not for God's sake. That's for your sake. Set aside time. And when you do, be yourself. Nothing complex, nothing contrived, nothing artificial. It's the very first thing you want to do if you want to know how to pray. Okay? Secondly, a little tiny bit of instruction for you. There's two kinds of prayer. There really are. There's vocal prayer and there's mental prayer, or as they sometimes call it, meditative prayer. These are the only two kinds of prayer in the whole world. Vocal prayer is anything that involves words. The rosary is vocal prayer. The mass is vocal prayer. Litanies are vocal prayer. Liturgy of the Hours, vocal prayer. The Our Father, vocal prayer. Vocal prayer is anything that involves words. Meditative prayer is anything that doesn't involve words. This is when you're just praying in the privacy of your own mind, and those are the two kinds of prayer. Compare those with your relationships now, and I think you'll find a great parallel. Your relationships always involve spoken and unspoken communication, don't they? I don't care how long you've been married or how close you possibly could be, you're always going to say, could you please pass the salt? Could you please pass the butter, right? You're always going to need, have a need for, 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 for speaking words. But of the two, spoken and unspoken, which communication is higher? Wouldn't you agree that unspoken communication, that glance by which you can just know what each other is thinking, is a higher form of communication? It's true in prayer too. The highest form of prayer is not vocal. Now, that's not to say the vocal doesn't have its place. You find saints like... Uh, um, St. Philip Neri couldn't finish the Mass. He couldn't say Mass in public because he'd, he'd, he'd lapse into deep mental prayer and he couldn't bring himself to, back to speak words. He had to deal with his altar boy. No joke. Philip Neri, he'd be saying Mass and he said, if in the middle of the Mass I lapse off into ecstatic prayer, I just need you to put out the candles, come back in two hours, light the candles again, and I'll probably be ready to pick up where I left off. So vocal prayer, it can lead deeply into meditative prayer. If you're the priest and you're saying Mass, you have to keep going. But if you're the one sitting in the pews and you're hearing Mass, you can stop and linger over any word you want. Same thing with a rosary. If you're leading the rosary, if you're doing the decades, you've got to keep going. You know, but if you enter into a moment in which you're captured by, 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 by the meditation and maybe you lose track of the words, go with the meditation. It's a deeper prayer. Maybe you don't even finish it's okay. Of the two, meditative or mental prayer is deeper, okay? So allow me to tell you how to pray and what to start. An ancient tradition that comes to us from the monastery is Lexio Divina. I hope, I hope you've heard of this before. But Lexio Divina, it's a fancy way of talking about meditating on Scripture. What you want to do is, first of all, set aside a time, set aside a place, set aside an amount of time. 
Okay? Strive to make it the same amount of time, same time every day, for your own sake, for your own habit's sake. And then just open with a little vocal prayer. Maybe you can start with an Our Father, Hail Mary. Sit down and read a passage of Scripture and apply it to your life. Don't pick a passage, passage of Scripture that you don't know. Pick one that you do know. Pick one that you love. You could meditate on the Our Father. Personally, I love the Psalms. Every Psalm is a prayer. Have you noticed that? Everywhere in the Psalms, there's some words addressed to God that will capture anything you could possibly be living through right now. If you're joyful, there's a Psalm for that. If you're sad, there's a Psalm for that. If you're questioning God, there's a Psalm for that. If you're angry with God, there's a Psalm for that. If you're repentant, there's a psalm for that. If you're frustrated with your neighbor, there's a psalm for that. It takes a little bit of knowledge. You can find your way through the psalms. But, you know, you, I love the psalms for that reason. So let me walk you through just a couple of lines here of the psalm to show you what Lexio is like. Psalm 34 just happened to be the psalm of daytime prayer. And I was just praying it before I walked out here to speak. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise ever on my lips. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant that your face might not blush with shame. When the poor man called, the Lord heard him and rescued him from all his distress. Now, here's how you do Lexio Divina. You take it one line at a time. You think about it for as long as you possibly can. You talk to God about what you're reading and you, well, when you get distracted and want, well, then you go to the next line. Okay? So I will bless the Lord at all times. Stop right there. Do you really bless the Lord at all times? All times? When you're watching the news, are you blessing the Lord? When you're stuck in traffic, are you blessing the Lord? When you're dealing with an irritating neighbor or coworker, are you blessing the Lord? Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times because I know that God is always present to me and always orchestrating all the circumstances of my life to lead me perfectly back to Him. Lord, help me to do that. You pray about that. Take that as far as it goes. His praise ever on my lips. If I could record your words for 24 hours, would anyone, would anyone describe them as God's praise always on your lips? Are there any words that you say that you would not speak if Jesus Christ were standing by your side? Somewhere in the scriptures, I forget the exact reference, it says, say only the good things men need to hear, things that will really help them. I always try to remember that. Say nothing that will sadden the spirit against the day of judgment. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise always on my lips. I sought the Lord and he answered me. I think a lot of the times in which we don't think that God is answering us is because we're not seeking the Lord. What are we seeking? I think a lot of times we're seeking ourselves. Lord, make my life right. Lord, fix this, Lord, fix that. Here's your to-do list, Lord, and I want to see some progress before the end of the day. Who are we seeking? I don't, know, but I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like a lot of people are seeking the Lord when their prayer sounds like that. I sought the Lord, and guess who answered me? That's when he showed up. When I sought him with all my heart, that's when he delivered me from all my fears. Because fear is forgetfulness of God. I've mentioned this before. Fear is a fixation on what's going to happen to me. Once you start to realize that God is always present with you, always provident, always powerful, there's no force on earth that has any authority over Jesus Christ. 
No government, no military, no law, nobody. Nobody is sovereign over Jesus Christ. And he's with you at all times. Remember that and you only have one question to ask. What do you want me to do now, Lord? I didn't ask for these circumstances. I don't like these circumstances, but that's okay. What do you want me to do? And he sets you free from all your fears. You can go on and on with this format, but this is Lexio Divina. Look to him and be radiant. I think a lot of the times you see people with glum, sour faces is because they're not looking to the Lord. If they're looking to the Lord, they're radiant. I remember a story of the life of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. They said this was the most impressive thing about Elizabeth of Hungary when she would walk out of the chapel from praying. They say her face, it was as though it was glowing. Glowing. It was like light was radiating out of her. Now, that was extraordinary, but in a spiritual sense. If you can ever describe your life as not exactly radiant, I think it's a good, a good reason to believe that you're no longer looking at the Lord. You're probably looking at yourself or your worries or your... You see, I see how, you see how Lexio is done? You talk to God about all these things, and you give it as much time as you need to give it. Now, let me tell you about the highest form of prayer, though. This is a little bit mysterious, a little bit difficult to, to, to grasp. But the highest form of mental prayer is not this active meditation. It's rather, it's known as contemplative prayer. And here's how it goes. When you're praying, you're kind of captured by this loving awareness of God's presence. There are no words for it. There are no images for it. There are no concepts for it. Yet there's no doubt in your heart, in your soul, that God is with you. And it's almost like at that moment, you're beyond words. I hope you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it only happens for a moment. Maybe it happens for a minute. Maybe you're further along in prayer and it happens for five minutes, ten minutes at a time. Then it mysteriously fades away just as easily as it came. When that happens, believe me, that's the highest kind of prayer. Stay with it as long as you possibly can. St. Francis de Sales says when you're praying like that, it's like you've got the most precious perfume in the world cupped in your hands. Careful not to let it spill through your fingertips. That's the most transformative prayer. You want sins to lose their stranglehold. You want intimacy with other persons to grow. You want to abandon the idea that I have to always have my way. You want to see big things in life as big and small things in life as small. You want to stop bickering and start listening. You want to stop complaining. You want to joyfully embrace the cross. You want to learn how to forgive even joyfully maximize that moment of contemplative prayer if it comes. It can also come in a moment of dryness. It doesn't have to be a joyful awareness of God's presence. It can be a dry awareness. It's like, God, where are you? And yet, you're absolutely convinced of your love for him and of his reality. That's contemplative prayer too. It's not always joyful. Sometimes it's dry. But this is what we want to pray for. Give it an amount of time every day. I recommend... Well, I recommend starting with the amount of time that you can be consistent with. Maybe you can only do 10 minutes a day, then for goodness sakes, do 10 minutes. But don't do 10 minutes and then slip back to 7 or 6 or 5. How long are you going to pray each day? Begin by saying, as long as I can consistently keep. Uh, Personally, I recommend 15 minutes. I, I mean, I don't think you can get anywhere in less time than that. Personally, I'd like, you know, the television sitcoms, and this, this, they, they need like a half an hour because it takes a half an hour to get somewhere. But whatever you do, let it be an amount of time that you can do consistently. Can do consistently. 
so much else that could be said about prayer. One of them, it doesn't depend on your life circumstances. It depends on your response to God and your response to God alone. I heard a story of a cardinal. He was a prisoner in Vietnam for 13 years. Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan, 13 years a prisoner in Vietnam. They said, what was it like? He said it was like a retreat. I think for the most part, God had up and abandoned you. Not for him. It's because prayer doesn't depend on your circumstances. God gives whenever you're ready to receive, and it doesn't depend on where you are. But one thing it does depend on is the generosity with which you're living your state in life. The more deeply you fulfill your obligations, the more generously you go beyond what's merely required of you, the more you ask, what more can I do for you? The less you ask, uh, what, you know, what's the least I can do for you? I've already given enough. I'm too tired. The more you go beyond, above and beyond in love for neighbor, the deeper you're going to pray. The deeper you're going to pray. That's what I meant when I say pray well and you'll pray better. Pray often you'll pray more, but pray little and you'll pray less. Pray poorly and you won't pray at all. If you want to pray better, strive all day long to live as though you love God deeply. And you'll begin to pray better. Honestly, anything else is a sham. Saying one thing to God in words and another thing in deeds. Deeply, deeply prayerful people are the least hypocritical people in the world. And that's something we have to constantly, constantly work on. What time of day? What time of day? The answer to that question is whenever you pray best. But I want to give you a little warning. Most people pray best in the morning. Why the morning? Because that's when nobody will interrupt you. (laughs) You wake up early, nobody's going to wake up to interrupt you. It happens to be a darn good time to pray. But whenever you're not going to be interrupted or distracted... Just remember, somebody once said one of the most practical ways to do that is to just decide I'm going to wake up 15 minutes earlier because nobody will interrupt me during those times. The other thing to mention is distractions. Everybody's all worried about their distractions in prayer. Would it surprise you if I told you that distractions aren't a big deal? Interesting. Distractions are to your prayer life like what temptations are to your moral life. Are you ever not going to be tempted? No, you're always going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. We're tempted because the devil's at work and because we're broken. And you want to know what? We're distracted in prayer for the exact same reasons. Because we're broken. Because the devil's at work. But if you don't give in to the distractions, it doesn't really have any effect on the quality of your prayer. It doesn't have any effect on the quality of your prayer unless you give in to them. If you're distracted ten times in prayer... And ten times in prayer, you set those distractions aside gently and go back to pray. You've just told God ten times, I love you. And your prayer has not suffered in the slightest. The most important thing of all, though, in prayer is determination. Teresa of Avila says, the most important, all important, is that they should begin prayer well by making an earnest and most determined resolve not to halt until they've reached their goal. Whatever may come, Whatever may happen to them, however hard they may have to labor, whoever may complain of them, whether they reach their goal or die on the road, or have no heart to confront the trials with which they might, they might meet, even if the very wor- world dissolves before them, they must be determined to continue. The most important thing in prayer is to start and to decide, this will be a part of my life and I will never stop 
not until I see God face to face. So that's my little thought for you here this morning. If I could only say one thing for you, you know, it, it would be about prayer. Like I said, the first thing is to make the first thing the first thing, but you can't give what you don't have. So I do pray that you will pray. Pray well and pray better. Pray better and pray more. Pray more, and you might just pray always. Pray always, and you might just become a saint. Amen, and God bless you.